Christmas fans? Christmas? Anybody like Christmas? Good. I just wanted to play something from Christmas because Christmas is coming and it's more important than Halloween. So I actually know I, I do have a purpose for sharing that clip with you. Um, first of all, welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming this morning. Did you have a good week? The fog got you down. It's all right. The sun will come out later today, I promise. If you're new with us, uh, if you would fill one of these cards out, put your name and information on it. If you have questions that you'd like us to get in touch with you about, you can uh, check those on the back, write them down on the back, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as you can. But especially if you're not getting emails and communication from us, I'd encourage you to go ahead and check that out, fill that out, and we'll get in touch with you. But if you are new, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, We just love the fact that you've chosen to come and uh, take a few minutes to be with us this morning. So welcome. And uh, if you need anything, you can ask me after the service, or there's some nice people out in the lobby that'll help you out too. But um, this morning, we're continuing on in our series, Dollars and Cents. Last week, we started with uh, Phil Intima, and he came and talked and kind of shared the whole good sense idea and, and uh, just kind of set us off on a good track for the rest of the series. This morning, we're, we're going to continue talking about the idea and the concept. We're not going to get really nitty-gritty about money this morning. We're going to kind of stay big picture, big idea. And I'm, it's going to take me, I'm just warning you, it's going to take me probably a little while to get the plane off the runway so uh, prepare yourself. Stick with me with, me with just a, a little bit of endurance, a little bit of patience. But once we get going, I think it'll pay off. But have you ever had a moment like that where you've been walking through life, you thought things were one way, and then all of a sudden everything changed? Ever had a moment where, where uh, maybe for some of you, let me see here. Yeah. yeah, so maybe some of you had, had something told to you about Christmas. I'm not going to get into details because I don't want to ruin it for you if, if, um, if you're here. But um, you've been told something about Christmas, and then there was a certain point in your life when you were told something completely opposite, right? It, was, it wasn't the truth. You thought it, you thought it had been the truth your whole life, but all of a sudden it was no longer the truth. Or, or maybe some of you thought... Um, thought your parents were one way, or you thought your dad was this, but then when you grew up, you found out that, that he was that. Or you thought that you were one way, and when you grew up, you found out that you were that. Um, or or you, you spent your whole life working towards something. You spent your whole life going in one direction. You've spent your whole life working your hardest, working every hour you possibly could, working, working as hard as you possibly could to, to go after this one thing. You've been trying and investing and going full speed ahead after what you thought life was about, and then something changed. Somebody, somebody revealed to you that you weren't a human. Somebody revealed to you that, that uh, you're, you're special. And all of a sudden, everything changed, and you had to go an entirely different direction. Well, I'm hoping that'll happen this morning. You've got a small goal, small goal for us this morning. is It's not real big at all. It's just that I hope everything about how you think about life changes completely. Small goal, no big deal, all right? Um, but I want to talk to you about John 3.16, and we're going to focus in on three words. You've all probably seen John 3.16. A lot of you maybe have memorized it. You've heard it so many times you haven't memorized. But for God's love the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, if you grew up in the church, then you grew up 
you know, memorizing that early on in Sunday school, or if you've watched football, you've seen that on the signs, what they hold up. They don't do it quite so much anymore, but they used to hold the, the John 3.16 sign up when they were kicking field goals to try to distract the, the kicker. I don't know, like with God's grace or something. I mean, like, <laughs> get distracted by John 3.16. Um, but I know that's not what they were doing, just trying to be funny. As we know, y'all don't laugh at my jokes. So, uh, just, I'll laugh by myself. <laughs> But uh, um, John 3.16, you know, it's, it's a popular verse, and, and it's one of those verses that I think, because that's probably going to bother somebody if I just let that bounce back and forth all morning. Is it? don't want to mess with some of your OCD tendencies. But John 3.16, is, it's one of those verses that we have a lot, that we've, that we've memorized, that we've read it so many times, that I wonder if we've actually stopped thinking about John 3.16 and, and some of the great stuff that's in there. It was chosen as, as a cornerstone verse for a reason. It wasn't just chosen because it's easy to memorize and it's got a nice, a nice verse signature, 316. That, you know, it's, it's not, it's, that's not why it was chosen. It's, it was chosen because the meaning is important. So, for God so loved the world... And that first phrase, we've got so much that, that God so loved the world. It's amazing. That he gave. That's where we're going to focus in this morning. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him and his one and only son and in God the Father whom sent him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's so much in that verse that is deep and and worth talking about. But this morning we're going to focus in on on the one phrase, that he gave. And I think to really get to the heart of that phrase, that he gave, we have to do a little bit bit of digging. We have to do a little bit of uh, backstepping and go back really, really far in the Bible. But to get it set up, I want to start with Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 through 22. And this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus, whom we just said that God sent. God loved so much that he sent into the world. And he's talking with some Pharisees. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then he said this, pay attention to this. He said, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and so they left him and went away. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of different ideas about what, this, what Jesus meant when he was saying this. What I think it means, whose image was on the coin? Whose inscription was on the coin? That's, Jesus asked those two questions. He, whose image is on the coin? Whose inscription is on the coin? It's Caesar's. And so he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. It's got Caesar's image on the coin. So he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and give to God what is God's. Well, what is God's? What has his image on it? Give to Caesar the coins. Give the government the coins. But give to God yourself. Because we're made in God's image. Now, now, we've got to go back to Genesis to figure out exactly what that means. So Genesis chapter 1, 
26 through 28. So God has just finished creating the world. He's, he's, he's taken the earth, which was formless and void. It was dark. It had nothing on it. It was, it was just a ball, according to Genesis chapter 1. And, and then he, he took it and he made, he divided the water. He divided the water so that there were, there were skies above and seas below. And he divided the, the land out of the sea. And then he created the animals and the plants. And then he created man. And then this is what he says when he created man in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God created them, and his image, he created Adam and Eve. That's an amazing, amazing thing to think, that, that God created mankind and his image. And you can spend probably a lifetime delving into this topic. And I want to really focus in on, on this topic this morning because I think it's very important for us. For one, one of our values as a church, you know, as, as 6-8 church, we want to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. And, and part of that is, is that we want to redeem the image of God in all mankind. We want to do whatever we can to redeem that image of God in everyone who walks through these doors and every person who we can touch and, and life that we can change by doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly. So, so we want to redeem the image of God in all mankind. And so if that's a big value for us, if that's important to us, then we actually need to know what it means when we're talking about redeeming the image of God of all mankind. And so, so God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Everyone say, that he gave. With a little more gusto, that he gave. There we go. So God loved the world so much that he gave. Well, what did he give? Of course, we know, we associate with the passage that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But the giving started so much further before that. For one, we know from the book of Ephesians that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless. Before God created the world, he chose us in him. Before the world had been formed, before God did all the work of, of creation, before all of that, he chose us in him. And, and, he, and if he chose us, he had a plan for us. And, and if he had a plan for us, that means that he, had to, he already knew that he was going to have to send his son to die in our place. See, God exists outside of space and time. God exists in places and in ways that we cannot fathom and we cannot understand. God is a huge God. God is a great God. God is an amazing God. And we really need to start to get a picture of who God is and how big he is because if we're created in his image, that means a lot. The implications of being created in God's image are disastrous if we don't understand who God is. If we don't understand how great God is and the nature of God, then we don't understand our own nature because we are made in God's image. So we really need to understand God's image. And, and we, under, we need to understand this phrase that he gave. You see, God loved the world so much that he gave. God loved the world so much that he gave. The Lamb of God was slain. In Revelation, we hear, this, we hear this phrase, that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world. That the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the world. That just as we were chosen before the foundations of the world, that, that the Lamb of God, that the plan 
that God had to set in place to save us was already in place before God created the world. God knew that the foundation of the world uh, would be built on grace before he sent a, a rule list for us to follow. Before God created us, he knew that his plan was to save us. Before God created us in his image, he had planned to sacrifice his son on a cross. That should astound you. That should blow you away. That should remind you of Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. You've heard this before. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before God created us in his image, he had a plan to redeem us. Before God created us in his image, he loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. But, but before we get to that, we, we also have to know that God is a giver. We read in that verse in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the world and everything in it. That comes from Psalm chapter 24 verse 1. That, that, that God created the world and everything in it. And if he created the world and everything in it, and then he threw that verse in there, and he tells mankind to, to fill the earth, to rule over the fish of the sea and the animals of the land, and, and he tells, you to, tells us to subdue it. He created the world for us. He created the world for us to enjoy. He created the world for us to live in and to experience daily, day in and day out. And, and we live in such a great part of the world. I grew up in the Midwest. Now, we had some rolling hills in southern Ohio. Then I moved to Indiana for college, and there was not a hill within you know, a couple hours driving distance. And so all we saw anytime we drove anywhere was corn and some soybeans. Um, but then you come out here to the northwest, and, and within one hour's driving distance, you can drive up to Mount Hood and go skiing. You can go an hour the other way and be at the beach. It's not like being at a normal beach, but you can still be in sand. And, and you, can, you can go another hour, and you can go fishing. You can go an hour and go hiking, and you can go, you can go an hour in almost any direction and experience an amazing, amazing creation. And then God created it for our enjoyment. Um, and there's actually a passage that says that, that it was for our pleasure that God created, and that he wants us to enjoy this life. But he didn't just give it to us to enjoy. He didn't just give us the, the earth to, to go out and, and have fun. He didn't just give us the earth to go out and hike mountains and, and to walk down, down the sandy beaches by moonlight and, and hold hands with some significant other. That's not the only reason that he created those things. He created it to show us things. He created it to, to remind us of him. He created it to, to remind us of his majesty and his glory. If, if God is big enough to create a mountain like Mount Hood or Mount Rainier or Mount Shasta or any of the great mountains that you think of, how big is God? If God is great enough to, to divide the waters from the sea and we see how, how powerful water is just in and of itself whenever we have too much of it and it destroys so many things and God is able to control that and make it go wherever he wants, how big is God? If, if God is able to not only, not only create the earth but to create all of the planets in our solar system and our solar system is a small solar system among millions of small solar systems and there are other big small solar systems and there are other bigger, bigger solar systems and then there are great big planets and great big stars that make our, our little planet look like so small. And if God is so big that he's able to do all that, then how big is God? God gave us this to remind us of him and his awesome power and his creativity, his majesty and his might. And he did it so that we could enjoy him and worship him. And that's a giving, giving God. 
When was the last time you made something so big to give away? Genesis 2.9, and the Lord God made um, all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. When he's describing the garden and, and, what, and what, uh, what, what Adam and Eve are allowed to eat, he just, the, the trees are described as pleasing to the eye and good for food. God created trees that are, that are pleasing to the eye. And then, if that wasn't enough giving, God gave and forsook his one and only son. We've already been over this. I would fail at this test. I would not be able to give my son, my firstborn son or my daughter or my, any of my kids. God is such a giver that he gave his one and only son. But God's not just a giver. God created us in his image, and he created us in his image with a purpose. He created all of us in this room for a purpose. He has a plan for every single one of us this morning. He has a plan for your life. You're not just roaming the earth as though you know, things are happening to you. God has a plan for you to happen to life, and he wants you to bring the happen to your life. And so um, you've heard me say that before. God created us to walk with him daily. God created us to walk in the garden with him, and then something happened. Something happened. Adam and Eve were tempted by a serpent. See, God had said, you can have everything, you can have it all. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree and this tree. Not that tree. This tree and this tree and this tree and this tree. And just, you can eat of it all, just not this one. And the serpent comes in and says, did God really say, and we've talked about that phrase before, that, that, that the devil will come in and he'll sneak in and he'll throw that phrase in. Did God really say He'll do that with John 3.16. Did God really say that he loved the world so much that he sent his only son? Is that really what God said? He'll say, did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees? Did God really say that, that you're supposed to fill the earth and subdue it? Did God really say? And so Eve buys in to the question. And she even used the same phrase to justify that tree that was used to justify every tree. She just adds to it. She said that the, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Sounds familiar. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. It was just like all the other trees. And wisdom's a good thing, right? So we should eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil because we need wisdom, right? But here's the thing. Do you really need wisdom if you don't know good and evil? Do you really need wisdom if you don't know what good and evil are? I mean, what's the number one purpose of wisdom? Is so that you have to make the right choice instead of the wrong choice, so that you're a wise person and not a fool. So if you don't know what good and evil are, then you don't really need wisdom. At least that's what I have come to conclude. But they decided that, that God was wrong and that the serpent was right, and so they took a bite of the fruit, and their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. And the image of God was now marred. The image of God, Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, had now been marred. It had been covered in something. 
At that point in time, mankind died spiritually, and now instead of being born with life, because God is life, we are born with, with a spirit that is already dead and needs to be resurrected by God. Our relationship, that's a really complex thing. I, won't, I don't want to get too much into that, but you can ask me questions about that later. Our relationship with God and each other was disrupted. Moral purity was replaced by a sinful nature. Personality was corrupted. Knowledge was degraded by false philosophies and vain imaginations. Emotions were turned into selfish desires. Creativity was rerouted by evil purposes and pursuits. And we tried to become our own gods. And we tried to make things by our own hands to worship instead of worshiping the God who made everything. But even though that image was marred, but even though that image was destroyed, but God so loved the world that he gave Even though for thousands and thousands of years we went off in our own direction, for thousands and thousands of years we went after our own things, we went after our own plans, we went after our own pursuits and our own desires, even though we went after all the things that were counter to what God wanted for our lives, as a society we went went past God all the way and then we went after everything that we wanted for ourselves. Even though we did that, God loved the world so much that he gave God loved the world so much that he gave. Here's the thing you need to realize is that God loved you so much that he gave. And to understand exactly what God gave, I think we really need to dig a little deeper into what happened on that cross. Many of you have probably seen the movie. Um, I've not seen the movie. I have my reasons. I'll explain it later. But, um, but we, we've seen what we think is a visual, a visual depiction of what happened on the cross. But, but I think, you know, what the, the biggest thing that happened on that cross, I don't think you could see in a movie. The biggest thing that happened on the cross, a cross, I don't think you could experience unless you've experienced it. Because at some point in time, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, he had already been beaten. He had already been torn to shreds. He, he wasn't just being hung on a cross. He was being brutally and embarrassingly executed. And when he's hanging on the cross, he experiences something that, that none of us will experience. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why have you forsaken me? None of us will ever know what it means and what it feels like to be forsaken by God. We will never experience it. Jesus experienced all of the trials of this life. He experienced all of the pain and the burden of this life. And then he experienced being forsaken by God. And you know, I was thinking about this and praying through this this week. God is life. So so God had to forsake his son. God cannot die. You you need to be uh, uh, brought into a few things. There are things that God cannot do. God cannot die. That's a good thing, right? We don't want God to die. We want God to live forever and ever and ever and ever. So God cannot die. That's a good thing. God cannot make a rock that is so big that he can't lift it. Because why would he do that? That's dumb. Um, (laughs) And if God could make a rock that is so big that he could not lift it, he'd be able to lift it. So, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So there are things that God cannot do. God cannot die. God is not death. God is life. 
God is life. God is life. God is life. If we're made in his image and God is life, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us when we're made in his image and God is life? You see, I think, I think Jesus had to be forsaken by the Father so that, that he could actually experience full and complete death. Full and complete death. You ask the question, did Jesus actually die? There are some theories that, that think that Jesus was just actually laid in the grave and that, that he was, his heart hadn't actually stopped beating. He was just unconscious and then he came back to life. But, you know, there's a lot of problems with that theory. Did Jesus actually die? Yes. Did Jesus actually die? Did the one who came into the world and John described as being the way, or Jesus himself said the way, the truth, and life, but, but John said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with, with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There was no darkness in him at all. There was, there was nothing that looked like death in Jesus. There was nothing that looked like death in God. There cannot be anything that looks like death in God the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. They are life. They are alive. They are living and breathing. They are active in our lives. They, they are all of life, and that's all that we need to know about God because God is life, and we are created in his image. That means if God wants us to be in his image, we need to experience life, but to experience life, he had to send someone who could fully experience death, beat it, and conquer it, and give us life that we could fully and live fully off of for all of time. It would have been a good spot for an amen, but I'll just, I'll just let that one go. But that's a good God. That's a giving God. So that, we wouldn't, so that God wouldn't have to turn his back on us, Jesus faced death and beat it. Jesus was forsaken by the Father, and we will never have to fear those two things, being forsaken or death. We don't have to fear death because we have life beyond death. We don't have to fear being forsaken by God because we have the spirit of the living God alive in us. That's a giving God. Not only did God create a world and give it to us, but he gave us freedom and a free will to choose to do what we want with it all. Have you ever made something for someone, put a lot of time and effort into it, and then have them take it and destroy it, or have them take it and ruin it, or make something totally different out of it? Have you ever, have you ever made a, a gift and then given it to someone, and then you go over to their house a year or so later, and it's, where's the thing that I've spent like all of Christmas working on for you? God gave us so much, and he still gave us the free will to choose to do the wrong thing with it. And even when we had messed the whole thing up, even when we had messed everything up, he gave us a way out. And the amazing thing is that God had the plan for the way out before he created the world. And the way out was that the most giving God, uh, the most giving thing God could have done in sending his son to die for our sins on the cross. And, and that required more of him and his son than he would ever require of us. And now he is restoring us. He is redeeming us once again to be holy and completely made and representing his image. 
But we still struggle with the fallen image. We still struggle with the image of, of death. We still struggle with, with the image of me because we, we think life is all about us. So though the work of the Spirit of God is living in our hearts, we are, to, are through the work of the Spirit of God living in our hearts, we are to be constantly growing in godliness and conforming more and more into God's image. That's 2 Corinthians 3.18 if you want to go look that up. Colossians 3.10, we need to be actively putting on the new man and forsaking the old man. Colossians 3.10, Romans 8, 28 through 29. God is at work in our lives doing things to help us conform once again to the image that he created us in. 1 John 3.2, it's a work that he won't complete until Christ returns or we are in his presence and then we will be like him. We will be like him. But we struggle with the things that keep us in our fallen state. We struggle with the things that, that pull us back in toward ourselves. We struggle with the things that pull us in toward our own motives and our own desires. We still struggle with, the, with self. We still struggle with wanting to be God. And that's why we don't want to give of our time and our talent and our treasure to anything that doesn't benefit us personally. That's why we don't want to give up our time to go serve at the church or to go serve at a community service somewhere. We don't want to give up our time to go help another family in need. We don't want to give up of our time to go help a friend who needs some help. We don't want to give up our time because it doesn't benefit us. And we're all about benefiting us. So we don't want to give up. We don't want to give up our talent because our talent is supposed to bring us glory and our talent is supposed to make us look good. We don't want to give up our talent because our talent is supposed to shine the spotlight on who we are and how great we are. So we don't want to give that up. We want the glory for ourselves. And we don't want to give up our money because that's our money. It's my money. I worked hard for that money. I'm going to keep my money. I'm going to do whatever I want with that money. So don't you dare ask me to do something that I don't want to do with my money. But that's the fallen nature. That's the fallen image of God. That's the image of God that was marred by sin when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree they were not supposed to eat of. That's, that's the image of death that came on all mankind. And now that we have to try to shake that we are created in the image of God. And he is redeeming us day in and day out to be more and more like him. God is more concerned with your motive than he is your money. God is more concerned with your motive than he is your money. God doesn't need your money. His streets are paved with gold. His gates are made out of pearls. God doesn't need your money. Don't think that God is a poor God and that he needs to steal from all the people of the earth so that he can get all the money that he needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He does not need your money. God is concerned with our motives when it comes to money. God is concerned with our motives when it comes to our time. God is concerned with our motives when it comes to our talent and our gifts and everything that God has done in us. God is concerned with our motives. So what are your motives? Are your motives for the old man and the old nature and the, and the fallen image of God that you have been born into? Or are your motives for the new image, the God who is a giving God, the God who gave up everything, including his son, to come to earth and save us? Is your, is your motive for that kind of a God? Is your motive that image of God? God wants us to give for our own benefit. God wants us to give because it helps us. It doesn't help us. He doesn't want us to give so we can get rich. I want you to, to throw that idea out. Wherever you have heard that idea, you need to get rid of it. God doesn't want you to get rich. God wants you to have all the resources that you could ever need to do his mission. 
That's what, God is care, that's what God cares about. God wants you to have whatever you need to do the mission that God has put you on. And we as a church are trying to be, be people who are living missional lives. And that means that we're trying to live our lives outside of this building in such a way that we are on mission every day. That we are doing exactly what God has called us to do outside this building every single day of the week. We don't come together to be the church. We come together to hear about God and get charged up and to experience the unity of the body. And then we go out into the world and we be the church. We don't come here to do the things that the church does. We go out there and do the things that the church does. And God wants to give you everything that you need to do those things. He doesn't want to give you more and more zeros after your, before the decimal point. I've got lots of zeros after the decimal point. He doesn't want to give you a lot of zeros before the decimal point. That's not what God is concerned about. God wants us to do all these things because they benefit us, but, but the way they benefit us is not the way that we think that they benefit us. God wants to worship him for our own benefit. Now, that doesn't mean that we get stuff out of worship. That doesn't mean that you should come to church and expect for, for Chris and the worship team to come and just, and just fill you with God's presence, and then you get mad when you leave because you weren't in God's presence all morning. God doesn't give us worship for that benefit. God gives us worship so that we can exalt him to the highest place and that when we exalt him to the highest place and put ourselves in the right place, then life functions the way it's supposed to happen. It's not because we get something out of worship, but because we were built for total surrender. Being made in God's image means that we were built to be totally surrendered to God. We're supposed to be total givers in every area of our life. God doesn't want us to give of our time for our own benefit. God doesn't want us to serve for our own benefit. God doesn't want us to give of our money for our own benefit. It's because he wants us to hold on to him more than we hold on to our money. God wants us to be so concerned with having more of him in our lives that that we don't even think about money. We think about, how do I get more of God? We spend so much time, how do I get more money? How do I get more money? My problem is I need more money. I need more money. I need more money. But that's not our problem. The problem isn't that we need more money. The problem is that we need more God. God doesn't want us to serve for our own benefit. He doesn't want us to serve because we feel good about ourselves when we're serving. But because when we serve, we are doing exactly like Jesus Christ did, who came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if we're not living surrendered lives, then our motives are still for ourselves. If we're not living surrendered lives, then then we are still our own God. And we will make everything in life revolve around us. If we're not living totally surrendered, then then God cannot restore the image of God in our lives. And that's that's what we need. That's what we want. That's that's what what our greatest passion and desire should be, is is that we shake more and more of the world off of us and that we become more and more like Christ. And that the image that we were created to be in in the very beginning, the image that we, that we hid from and the image that we have run from, the image that we, have, that we have pursued everything but is the thing that we need God to restore in us completely and wholly. So we need to live totally surrendered lives. We need to surrender God in more and more ways every single day. And we need to, to eradicate the things of that marred image, that fallen image, and allow God to fill us with his righteousness, with his holiness, with the pursuit of things that matter to him, not things that matter to our own world. But if we're selfish with what God has given us, then we will never be more concerned with God than we are with ourselves. We'll never be more concerned with God's kingdom than we are with building our own kingdom. 
And we'll never be more concerned with others than we are with ourselves. So, what should we do? We should give to get. Give to get. You've probably heard that one before. I want you to pull out this envelope. It's in the chair in front of you. Um, at the very top of this envelope, I want you to see something. God so loved the world that he gave. John 3.16. And that's why we give. We give to get. We give to get. What does that mean? Because it sounds kind of selfish. Let me define it a little bit. We need to give everything so that we can get more of God in our lives. We need to give up everything so that we can get as many people into the kingdom as possible. We need to give everything away that is holding us in bondage so that we can get more of God in our lives. We need to give to get. We need to give so that we can get more of God. We need to give so that we can get more people. We need to give so that we can get more souls into the kingdom of God. We need to give everything that we possibly can of our time, our talent, and our treasure. We need to give of all of that so that we can get as many people into the kingdom of God because that is why we're here. That's the number one thing that we're here to do. We're trying to build the kingdom of God. We're not here to build our kingdom. We're not here to do whatever we want for ourselves to make a name for ourselves. We're not trying to make a name for our church. We're not trying to make a name here in this part of the community. We're trying to make the name of Jesus Christ known in whatever possible way that we can and we're going to bend over backwards and forwards and sideways and leftways and whatever way we have to so that we can make the name of Jesus known in this community. And we want to give to get that. We want to give everything we can to get the word of God out on the streets. We want to give everything that we can to get as many souls in here as possible so they hear the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ did come to die on the cross for their soul. That Jesus Christ did come and he experienced death so that we wouldn't have to experience death. That God did love the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That's what we want to do. We want to give to get. And when we're giving that way, when we're giving in that way, it's all for God's glory. It's all for God's glory. We're not giving so that we can get the number sign attached to our name on the big donor and the brick out in the front with our name on it. We're not giving so that we can get the credit for the money that we've given. We're giving so that we can give God all the glory. Look at how much God has given me. I'm given as much back as I possibly can. God isn't going to bless your giving or your service or your ministry or your life or anything that you're doing at all if it's all for your own glory because that does not bring God in on the process. That's the old man. That's the old image. That's the old way of doing things. God wants you to do everything. He wants to reorganize your entire life so that everything about your life is about giving God the glory, giving God the credit, giving God what he deserves, what he is due in every area, every aspect of your life. And the only way to do that, the only way to go after that is total and complete 100% surrender. To lay ourselves down, just like Jesus Christ laid down his life and gave his life as a ransom for many. But if we do it for our own credit, God won't bless us in that. If we give for our own credit, God won't bless our giving. If we serve for our own credit, God won't bless our serving. If we minister to get the glory for it, God won't bless our ministry. If we're giving to get more glory for ourselves, if our motive is all about my name and making my name known, if our motive as a church is making the name of this church known, God isn't going to bless that. God wants us to make his name known. And the only way to be totally and completely sold out to that mission is if we are in the process of becoming remade in the image of God. 
The only way to be totally sold out to the new mission, the mission that God has for us, the mission that he planned for us to have, the ministry that he put in us before time began, the ministry that he created us to to come and do and live and be, is to give up the old. We have to say, no more. But I echo the words of Paul. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Living is Christ and dying is gain. But if you want God's blessing to flow abundantly in your life, if you want to to be living your life in such a way that God is blessing you, you have to be living your life all for God's glory. Remember several months ago we, we said that your glory is too small a thing to live for? We need to be living all for God's glory. It's about Jesus and his name. It's not about me. It's about giving to God's kingdom and his purposes. It's not about my bank account. It's about understanding that everything that I have, God made. It's about understanding that everything that I have, God gave to me. And if God made it and he gave it, then we ought to give it back for his mission, for his purpose, and for his glory. God loved us so much that he gave. God loved us so much that he gave. He gave us his image, and he gave us his son, and he gave us his mission. God gave us his image, that God is life. God gave us his son to wash us in grace and cover us in his righteousness. And God gave us his mission. So as the band comes, I want to kind of wrap things up and and ask a few questions. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've never heard this before. Maybe you're like Buddy the Elf and this is the, this is the first time you've heard that, that you were created for something greater than yourself. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard the concept that you were created in God's image. And that by being created in God's image, you have inherent value that cannot have a dollar sign placed to it, but that you are filled with value because God created you in his image. That your worth is not defined by what you do, but your worth is defined by the image you were created in. That the value that you have is not because of the things that you accomplish, not because of the circumstances of your life, but because God created you in his image. And maybe this is the first time you've heard that. And so, so I want you to, to spend some time just thinking about that this morning. What does that mean for my life? And if you're bold enough, I'd, I would ask you to pray this prayer. But God, what does this mean for me? God, what do you have for me in this? Maybe you don't pray. Maybe you're not a praying person. But just by praying and connecting with a supernatural God, a God who is far outside of our circumstances... God will reveal something to you. But maybe you've forgotten. Maybe you've forgotten what you were created for. Maybe you've forgotten the image that you were made in. Maybe you have forgotten. Maybe you you knew it and you've just forgotten it. And you've spent the last however many years of your life going after your own image. You've spent the last however many years of your life going after something that's all for you and for your glory. But God wants you to remember. God wants to remind you this morning. If you've forgotten that, look at the beginning. I made you in my image. 
And just as God created this earth for his glory, he created you for his glory. And then, if you're good on those two things, I want you to think about this question. What have you given? What have you given? You can't outgive God. Maybe you should try. I'm not asking you to make any kind of commitment this morning. I'm not asking you to to write down on the tithing envelope that we pulled out that I'm going to start giving X amount every single week. There may come a time for that. We're not going to do that today. I'm just asking you one question. What have you given? What have you given to a great God who created you in a great image? What have you given? What have you given to a God that loved you so much that he gave his one and only son? What have you given? Because if it's anything short of complete and total surrender, you still haven't given enough. I'm not saying you can earn God's love. I'm not saying that you can earn God's grace. I'm not saying that if you give just enough, if you give enough money, if you give enough time, if you give enough talent, that you're going to be able to earn God's grace. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if your motive is still for you, if your motive is still for the things that you want to see happen, if your motive is still for your own desires, for your own thoughts, for your own hopes, for your own glory, that you still haven't given enough. You've got to give something so that you can change your motive from being all about me to being all about God. God is more concerned with your motive than he is your money. I'm more concerned with your motive than your money. Because I am 100% convinced that if we all have the right motive, God will do amazing, unseen things at this church. I am convinced that if we all got our motives in the right place, if we all got thinking about the things that God wants us to think about, if we all got doing the thing God wants us to do, if we all got giving towards what God wants us to give, if we all got got doing the ministry that God wants us to do, then we will be an unstoppable force in changing this community. But we cannot do it if our motive is still for me. We can't do it if our motive is still for the name of myself and the name of this church and the name of this ministry. We can't do it if, if the motive is still for anything except that we want to make the name of God known in as many ways as we possibly can. We want to lift Christ to the highest possible place and exalt his name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee in this community, every knee in a four-block radius of this church, all the 2,682 homes that are within a radius of this church, that every single one of those knees would bow and that they would worship at the name of Jesus this side of eternity before they're forced to do it on the other side. We want to see as many people come to Christ, and we can only do that if our motive is for his kingdom, if our motive is for his glory, and our motive is for his purpose. So what have you given this morning? What's your motive? Is your motive for you? Is your motive for more of me? Is your motive for more of yourself and more things you can get and more zeros in your bank account? Or is your motive complete and total surrender to the ways of God? Let's stand together. We're going to have the men go in the back instead of coming to the front this morning. We're going to be out in the lobby to pray with you. And I don't want the worry of being seen by someone to keep you from doing the business that you need to do with God today. So I would like you, if you need to make a decision of any kind, to go in the back and make that today. We're going to be out there. We're going to pray with you. If you need to, if you need to change your motives, we'll pray with you that God will start to reveal to you the ways to change your motives. If you need to change your desires, if you need to change your giving, if you need to experience Christ in you, the hope of glory for the very first time, that we're there to do that. We are there to do whatever you need us to do so that you can get right with God this morning and then go out this week and live 
a missional way for God's mission and for God's glory this week. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such a giving God. I thank you that you have gave, that you gave so much that I cannot even imagine or fathom the amount that you have given. I thank you that you love me enough that you had a plan to redeem me even before you knew I would become such a sinner. That you had a plan to redeem me before I knew that I would become a follower of Christ. That you had a plan to use me in ways that I could not imagine being used before I was even born, before I was a thought. I thank you that you formed me and you created me with a purpose and that you have me here in this place just like you have every single one of us here in this place for a purpose this morning. Father, I pray that you would help us to get out of the way of what you want to do in our lives, to get out of the way of the things that you want to accomplish in us, and to get to a point where you can do everything through us. Father, I pray for every single one of us in this building this morning, complete and total surrender. I pray for every single one of us that we would lay our lives down, that we would take up the cross that you've called us to carry, and that we do exactly just like you did, that we would serve wouldn't come to be served, that we wouldn't expect the world to serve us, but that we would expect and give our lives to serve the world. So Father, I thank you. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning, and I pray that you would give us what we ask for, complete and total surrender, more of you.